Philistinic child. Okay, so we are in the Advent season, and every week we are lighting a candle, and I'm just going to remind us of where we've been so we can understand where we're going to go. So the first week, we talked about the candle of hope, and uh, one of the things that I said is hope has arrived, and it is arriving. And then in the following week, we did the candle of preparation. And for the candle of preparation, it was to prepare and to welcome to receive, uh, welcome and receive Christ. So it was this idea of looking to Christ and then welcoming and receiving him. What does that look like in our lives? And then this week, we are going to do talk about the candle of joy. Oh, it already went out. That's not a good sign. <laughs> there it is. Okay. So that's a very, very brief summary of just the journey that we're going to be going on. Pastor Joe will be with us to kind of close out Advent before our Christmas Eve service. Um, When we were singing this morning, we were singing the first Noel, right? And I was reflecting on the lyrics as you all were singing so beautifully. And one of the things that struck me is that I feel like I can really relate to the wise man. I mean, well, I say... My last name literally means wise man, uh, so I can really relate to the wise man, I guess. Um, but, but the idea of seeing something off in the distance and searching for it. And I feel like many of us have that sort of relationship with joy. Like we know it's there, but it's, we're key, we can feel like we're searching for it, we're looking for it. And so my hope is this morning as we look towards this idea of God's promises as who he is, his character, that we might grasp hold of joy in a unique way to us that I think is beautifully written throughout scripture. So that's kind of where we're going to go with that. Um, I have two questions that we're going to talk about and then a third question that you're going to reflect on personally. So the first question is just for you all to reflect on, talk about what is joy? How would you define joy? Um, so go ahead and think about that for a second and then talk amongst yourselves. What is joy? How would you define joy? Okay. Um, by the way, I don't have like a Webster's dictionary or anything like that. I ask these questions so that way we can look at how we define joy. I'm not as interested on how Webster's define joy, but how do we define it and how do we live in it? So, uh, how would you define joy? What is joy? Grandkids. Grandkids. Okay. What else? A personal experience. Okay. What? Vanilla bean ice cream. Vanilla bean ice cream. <laughs> mint chocolate chip for me. Yeah. Yeah, go. It's got to be green, thin mint. Okay, what else? A happy marriage. Happy marriage, okay. Loving and being loved. Peace of mind, loving and being loved, okay. Hmm. Joy is giving. Giving, okay. The joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord. Hmm. What is the joy of the Lord? I... I have you noticed a trend that all of the joy stuff is externally based? It's your interaction through relationships. Yeah, but is that joy? Well, it's being happy. 
kind of hard to breathe because you're having so much fun. Mm. You know, you just like yes. Get up and get out. <laughs> okay, I like that. All right, so maybe kind of um, whittling it down a little bit more. This is my next question: What provokes joy in you? So think about that for a second. What provokes joy in you? And go ahead and talk about it. I mean, we've kind of... All right. What provokes joy in you? We've already kind of answered. Some people have kind of answered it. What? That you are loved. That you are loved. What else? Anonymous giving or helping of other people. Anonymous giving or helping of other people. Being grateful. Grateful? Okay. I drive by the store almost every day and I don't know why. And I drive by the Christian church and they always have some beautiful saying about Jesus. Mm. Sounds like God meeting you where you are in the midst of situations and circumstances. And for that brief moment, you can see it. That provokes joy in me, too. Anybody else? My introverts? You'll tell me afterwards, probably. Okay, so we've kind of at least personally defined what joy is for us, uh, maybe what provokes joy. Even if you haven't said it out loud, I'm sure you've thought about what provokes joy in me. This is a question I want you to contemplate. We don't need to talk about it, but I want you to think about it, is what competes with joy in your life? What competes with joy? You don't, you don't need to talk. I just want, I'm going to be quiet for a moment, and I would like for you to reflect on that question. What competes with joy in your life? Based on how you defined it and what provokes it, what competes with it? So I'll just be quiet for a minute so you can reflect. When I asked some friends what competes with joy in their life, um, they said stress and anxiety, um, especially the holiday season, it seems like. Whatever you felt prior to Christmas and Thanksgiving, it's 10 times worse. Um, relationships can compete with joy, suffering, sorrow, mourning, grief. I mean, there's just a bunch of different answers. Um, and so I, I feel like we have kind of either a love-hate relationship with joy or kind of like that wise man journey where we're looking for it and we keep searching for it. We're like, what does it look like? And so um, keeping in mind, okay, so the first week we talked about fallowness. Hope is in the midst and it's arriving. So there's something about uh, the land resting. We talked about the year of Jubilee. It's just resting in who God is. I'm hoping you'll see a theme here. The next one was preparation. So sometimes in our resting, we realize that we're not good at receiving and welcoming. So growing in the reception and welcoming 
of God in our midst. And then this one is joy, but instead, I think what Advent teaches us is that Jesus, while he has arrived, right, and we know that he died, resurrected, and he's coming back, is there's this journey that we're going through where we're still waiting. Um, how many of you, and I'm going to keep on asking this every week, how many of you struggle with waiting? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be done in like four minutes, right? <laughs> we all struggle with waiting. And maybe not right now, but maybe in the past you have, or potentially in the future you will. But there's this rawness that we experience in waiting. And I find for me, one of the places I have the most difficulty with joy is in periods of waiting. And so I want to speak to that uh, today. When we were looking at, uh, when I was looking at joy, one of the things that I looked at was just like, what is joy? What does scripture say about it? And I wanted to start here and leave it here. It's Galatians 5.22. It's probably a familiar uh, passage to you. Uh, it talks about it, joy being a fruit of the Spirit. It says, Galatians 5.22 says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, generosity, and faithfulness, and it goes on. And the contrast is that uh, what is life in the Spirit, filled in the Spirit with God, and then what is life uh, apart from it, right? So here we're seeing, and this year a professor pointed out to me, notice it doesn't say plural. It doesn't say fruits. It just says fruit. This is all one fruit that's given to us. And that fruit, singular, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, and faithfulness. So coupled with love and joy and peace and patience, this is our experience. But I, I find that this is something that can also be fleeting. Every single one of these can be fleeting. Love can be fleeting. Joy can be fleeting. Peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness. We have ebbs and flow in our life with all of these things. I would love to talk about all of them, but I'm going to focus specifically on joy and just point out that joy is something that God is responsible for. We are not responsible for. I know that's weird, right? I'm seeing all the faces and you're like, what, Sean? If you think about your experience with joy, is that something that you can genuinely provoke and conjure up in your life? Like, can you think about it like joy, 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 yes, I've got joy down in my heart. No. And, and that's why I asked, what is joy? Every single one of the answers that you provided for me was a result of something that somebody had done or an external relationship. It had nothing to do with you internally. There's something about joy, if we start reflecting honestly about joy, it's not something that we can conjure up. God says that this is his responsibility to place in us. It's not the fruit of your hard work. It's not the fruit of getting the job done well. It's not the fruit of anything. What is it the fruit of? The Spirit. That's a gift that God gives us, is joy. Now, I think a lot of times, at least in our culture, joy is something that you have to work for. Joy is something that you have to hold on to or search for. I keep on going back to this theme. What if joy is simply resting in the Lord? And I'm going to kind of make a case for resting in the Lord uh, today. And I'm going to start with Psalm 146. That's why I chose to read it. This is from the lectionary. This is ultimately a, a psalm about joy. The first one says, 
verse, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh, another word for praise is boast. Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord, O my soul. I will boast in the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. There's, so the psalmist here is orienting his heart and orienting our hearts around what does it look like to boast in the Lord, to look to the Lord. And, and who is he looking and singing to, to God, his entire life? Verse 3 says, do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. Uh, another word for trust in Hebrew is confidence. I'll read it to you differently. Do not put your confidence in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. Has anybody ever failed you before? <laughs> I'll get more specific. Has anybody that has like authority, power, or position in your life failed you? And what does that feel like? Massive letdown, right? Especially when you have like a close and intimate relationship with them and then they're like, you think they're going to go one way, you think they're going to do something and then surely, lo and behold, they do the opposite. And they're like, really? And part of the reason why it hurts, and I'm going to speak for me here, is because a lot of times I put my trust in other people. I put my confidence in other people. I put my expectations on other people. And the psalmist reminds us, what? Do not. And that's kind of a weird tension point, but the psalmist, he, he explains why. Because when their breath departs and they return to the earth, on that very day their plans perish. So certainly, like, I'm not saying like, uh, for you that have close intimate relationships that you shouldn't trust one another. Absolutely trust one another. But the psalmist is pointing out that where is, this is, where is your confidence supposed to be placed? Is it supposed to be placed in my relationship with Tom? I love Tom. Tom loves me. And we relate to one another that way. But where is my confidence supposed to be? It's not based on what Tom is or isn't going to do. Sorry, I'm using you, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Read the subliminal messages, right? No. You were just closest to me, sorry. But if we're starting to think about relationships, um, I find that relationships that are more free, that are more, more joy-filled, it's because we understand how to relate to one another and we're, we're okay with failure. It's because our confidence isn't placed on what that person can or cannot do for me. It's placed in just sheer love. Uh, you can definitely see that in a relationship with a child as they're trying to learn what love looks like, is they kind of go through this thing. It's like, ooh, dad or, or, or mom or aunt, uncle, friend, I, I thought you were going to meet my expectation. And then you're like, well, you know, I was got to do this first. They're like, oh. And then through time, they realize that love isn't based on what we do for one another. It's based on presence. It's based on intimacy. It's based on proximity. It's based on uh, how, how when they fail or when I fail, how we relate to one another, right? That goes beyond confidence. And that's a joy-filled relationship. I love the faces that I'm getting this morning. Everybody's like, I'm going to see where this is going, Sean. I'm going to see where it's going too. Um, <laughs> verse 5, happy are those who help 
whose help is the God of uh, Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. First, I'll say this. Happy literally means blessed. Blessed are those who, whose help is the God of Jacob. Whose, what does it say? Hope is in their friend? No. Their Lord, their, the Lord, their God. Blessed are those who help, whose help is God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. So let's put this in context of waiting for a second. Um, because a lot of times we think happy like smile, smile, everybody smile, right? That's what happiness looks like. And the psalmist reorients our idea of what happiness looks like to blessedness. I am blessed, but why am I blessed? It's because my hope is placed where? In the Lord. So my blessings aren't in my circumstances. My blessings aren't in my relationships. My blessings are in my hope in the Lord. But you're like, okay, but what does that look like? Well, the psalmist tells us. Um, can I borrow this real quick? Sorry. I put in your bulletin, if you have it, you could share. I put another version of this text because I really love the way that it is. I'm going to grab mine so I don't steal anybody else's. I love the way that it's the common English Bible. This is the version of it. Um, and it's just a different way to word it. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 5 for those of you that want to follow along. It says, The person whose help is the God of Jacob, the person whose hope rests on the Lord their God, is truly happy. Think blessed. And then it says, Who this Lord is that they're putting hope in? God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He has complete authority and power over everything. God, who is faithful sometimes, part of the time, who is faithful forever, who gives justice to people who are oppressed, who gives bread to people who are starving, the Lord who frees prisoners, the Lord who makes the blind see, the Lord who straighten up those who are bent low, the Lord who loves the righteous, the Lord who protects immigrants, who helps orphans and widows, but who makes the way of the wicked twist and turn. Whew, I get like chills when I read that. God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. God, who is faithful forever, who gives justice to people who are oppressed, who gives bread to people who are starving. The Lord, I love how it says the Lord, which is an authority statement. The Lord who frees prisoners. He has authority over all who are captive and in bondage. The Lord who makes the blind see. The Lord who straightens up those who are bent low. Who does this sound like? The Lord who frees prisoners, the Lord who makes the blind see, the Lord who straightens up those who are bent low. Do you remember the story when Jesus is in the synagogue and there's the bent over woman who literally comes before Jesus like this? And what does he do? He straightens her back and brings healing. The Lord who straightens up those who are bent low. The Lord who loves the righteous, who protects immigrants, who helps orphans and widows. I'm just, I want to keep reading that. If you look at this psalm, what you can start to see is that joy, so this deeply provoked worship that the psalmist is singing, 
What's, what's provoking it? Is it the thing that the psalmist is doing? I know I'm asking a lot of questions. Or is it hope and who God is? I, I want to say that again. Is, is the praise of this psalmist, the praise of the person that's singing, is hope based on what they're doing? Or is it based on looking to the character and heart of God? Remembering who he is, resting in who he is, reorienting every single thing that they do on the character and hope of God. See, when I approach joy, a lot of times when I feel like I'm struggling with my joy is because I failed. It's about me. It's about the things that I've done wrong. We said uh, relationships with children or grandchildren or marriage, and I start thinking about those things, and I'm like, man, I really suck at this. <laughs> man, I'm not good at this. Man, and I, you know, it's just like, ugh, beating myself up over and over and over again. And God says, what if you reorient everything about, I'm the creator of all things, the Lord of all things. Do you feel blind right now? You can't see, I'm the Lord over that. Do you feel oppressed and entangled? I'm the Lord over that. Do you feel like you aren't heard? I'm the Lord over that. That's why I put promises. Because what I'm finding in my life, and this is why, again, I love the Advent season, is it's teaching us about waiting. It's teaching us about joy in our waiting. In order for us to trust, just, just pretend for a moment with me that you're land, okay? You're no longer humans. You're just a piece of property. That sounds horrible. Um, but you're just land. And you've been plowed, and you've been weeded, and you're ready for the seeds to be sown. You're ready to produce. You're ready to have a harvest. But instead, the farmer says, I'm going to let you rest. But you're like, but I'm ready. You're bursting at the seams. You're like, I'm fertile. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. And the farmer says, wait. And you're like, but, and he's like, wait. And you're like, but, and he's like, wait. Can you relate to that? But you know the character of the farmer, the one who sows the seeds. And you know that he'll sow the seeds eventually. So you can either get into the cycle of but and wait, but and wait, or I know that you are the Lord over this land. I know that you're the one who sows the seeds. I know that you're the one that tends to my needs. I know you're the one that weeds. I know you're the one that cultivates. I know that you're the one that harvests. I know who you are. And that's what the psalmist is doing right here. He's pointing out, you are the Lord over all of these things. I praise you. And the only external thing that, that the psalmist is looking at is the, the, the world around and saying, this is yours, God. And this is what evokes joy in my life and praise. You, you, you use that example of this moment in your life when you're like, you're experiencing the fullness of life and you kind of just want to like scream out. You ever been on a roller coaster for those that like roller coasters? That is unbridled joy. It's something that comes deep within you. 
especially in the drought, right? And your natural reaction is go, whoa, you, you can't help it. I mean, some of us try, we're like, yeah, this doesn't bother me. <laughs> but, but guess what? Guess what? I was listening to this in a song. His song is about roller coasters, which is weird. But he points out whether you have your hands clenched or you have your hands up screaming, guess what? You still feel it. It doesn't matter. What the psalmist is doing here is he's saying, yes, Lord, praise you for your character and your goodness and your faithfulness and the joy that you're invoking in me despite my situations and circumstances. And I love that. But um, last I checked, life is not that easy, right? We have difficulty. We have the unexpected. We have these traumas that we walk through and we're like, man, I, I made it out of bed today. Things are going great, you know? So that's why I love that the lectionary points us, and of all places, to John the Baptist. So I'm going to go there. Um, if you want to follow uh, with me, it's on page 792. It's Matthew 11. So page 792, Matthew 11. And I'll read it for you as well. But think in this context. So okay, maybe now we understand more or less a concept of joy, what it's provoked into us. It's resting and remembering in who God is, which, side note, is why Sabbath is so important. So there's something hinged about joy to Sabbath and rest. The more we rest and remember, the more joy seems to come about. Okay, so um, what do we know about John the Baptist? John the Baptist is a very faithful prophet of God. He loves God so much. He does whatever God calls him to do. He's super weird, and he's super offensive, right? And that, ultimately, his obedience to God doesn't mean he has a palace, doesn't mean he lives in Hollywood, doesn't mean that he drives his Lamborghini. It means that he's in jail. That is his direct obedience to God. Put him in jail. Now, we know because of the Christmas story that we're familiar with, that we hear year after year after year, as John makes the way, he's the one that's proclaiming out in the wilderness, this is God, which is, I know Pastor Joe has pointed this out too, which is why this part, portion of Scripture is so interesting. John the Baptist, what did we read last, last week with Mary singing? He was jumping with joy in Elizabeth's womb because he had encountered the living Christ. If there's anybody that knows who Jesus is, it's John the Baptist, right? I mean, have I made a good argument for that? Chapter 11, verse 2. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? That John the Baptist. See, this is the thing about joy. Sometimes life and our circumstances turns us into John the Baptist, and that's okay, by the way. Do you think John is in sin for this? This is critical. Do you think John is in sin for asking Jesus who he is? No. Think about your prayer life, or I hope this is your prayer life. Do you ask God, can you show me your character? Can you show me, in your, show me who you are in the midst of this situation? Can you bring healing? Can you show me what you look like today? Because I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how you're working. I don't know what, what are you doing? Have you ever had one of those? 
or just the one word, why? Why? Right? That's John the Baptist, and he's not in sin. What is he doing? He's in jail. <laughs> because of his obedience, he's in jail. What is a natural response? Like, look, Jesus, I'm in jail. Are you the one that I thought that you were? Look, Jesus, I'm a follower. But are you the one that I thought that you were? Because if you were, I don't know that I would have been going through this or dealing with this or struggling through this. And I love what Jesus says. Remember one, Psalm 146 that I just read? Jesus answered them. Oh, can I pause one more second? Notice, obviously, for situational purposes, John the Baptist can't go out of jail and ask Jesus himself. So who does he send? So what is his disciples learning through this interaction? It's not just John the Baptist that's learning who Jesus is. It's all of John's disciples that are learning who Jesus is. It's all Jesus' disciples that are learning who he is. That's why I love Come back. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receives, what? Their sight. The lame walk. We think bent over woman. The lepers are cleansed and deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Does that not just sound literally like Psalm 146? And if, if you're questioning if whether or not maybe John was potentially in sin, let me just say that Jesus doesn't correct John for asking the question. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, John, I mean, I know you're in, j in jail, but, I mean, where's your joy at? Like, seriously, what does he do? He praises John. He says, this is who John is. Do you know who he is? Do you know this? Do you know this about him? Well, let me tell you, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. But this is the follow-up to that. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He's not saying, how dare you ask me? He's saying, look at this holy man. Look at this obedient son of God. So uh, let's bring this all together. Whether you're in waiting now or you've been in waiting or you will be in waiting and I'm just planting seeds for those moments, what we can learn here about joy is that it's something that God provokes in us. And how do we find joy? It's by looking, resting, and remembering in who God is. It's not something that we do. It's a gift given to us. Um, if, I, if I had a million-dollar check for all of you, what would your hands look like? I mean, just think of If I had a check that I was going to give you and I was like this, <laughs> what would your hands look like? Thank you, Nancy. She was like, give me. Yeah, like, you have two for me, right? And, and what the psalmist is pointing out, that this is better than silver or gold. And so this posture of our hearts is, remember, welcome and receive. 
What does it look like to welcome and receive? It's not just welcoming and receiving Christ. It's welcoming and receiving the joy of the Lord. And we, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So joy is an, is an accompaniment of God's presence. Joy accompanies strength. Joy accompanies love and patience and gentleness and kindness. All of the very things. Can you go back to Galatians 5.22? I'm sorry. All of the things. If you look at one of those things and you think about the way life looks like when you're waiting, do you, especially when you've been waiting a really long time, I always think of the Christmas story in the Red Rifle BB, or Red Rider BB gun, right? Uh, love. The more and more you wait, is it more and more difficult to interact with people in relationship? You struggle with love. So we've already established joy. Peace seems to be fleeting. Patience, fleeting. Kindness, well, ask your friends around you. <laughs> Generosity, generally not, because we're holding on to things because we're waiting. We're like, at any moment, I have to move. And faithfulness. I love that. This is what the Advent season teaching, uh, teaches us. All of these things are gift God wants to give us in our seasons of waiting. And all we have to do is, like the psalmist teaches, rest and reflect on who God is and his character. Um, one of the things that competes with my joy is busyness. Busyness. I point this out because what Scripture teaches us is rest and remembrance helps us see God's character, and as a result of that, take hold of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, and faithfulness. But what the world asks of me is, be busier, work overtime, do this, do that. They don't coexist, do they? Rest and remember, and busier, busier, busier. We have an opportunity as the body of Christ, to be a part of the reorientation of culture. When you say no to somebody, obviously, you know, think about what you're saying no to, but when you say no to somebody, we should be replacing that with rest and remembrance. I struggle with telling people no. I do. And it's because I'm still learning what rest and remembrance, making space. My no, I'm saying no to you, because I'm looking to who God is in his character. I'll tell you, uh, um, this is how, um, well, part of the way I'll close it. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I uh, moved into my house, and I'm putting up ceiling fans with my dad, which I hate. Um, Give me an example of your dad. I love my dad. Yeah. <laughs> dad, I love you if you're listening, right? Um, yeah, no, thanks for the clarification. I do not like putting up ceiling fans. And I started to get really stressed out because if you've ever put up a ceiling fan, what you think will take an hour takes like seven hours, right? That's just how it is. And so I'm starting to get stressed out, and I don't know why I'm getting stressed out. And I'm starting to think, okay, I've got to do the ceiling fan. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. I've got to do schoolwork. And then I was like, I don't have to do schoolwork. <laughs> And I can tell you, there was that sheer joy <laughs> moment. But, and I'm not saying that so you can applaud. But what I'm saying is, there was this moment where this thing that's taken up so much of my life, 
I didn't have to do anymore. I got to say no to it. Well, it was already done. But there was such rest internally. I was like, and then, I mean, it was like I was reading the scripture. I'm like, this is it. Me saying no, no to overtime as an example. Because that's going to facilitate this joy of the Lord in my life. And maybe I'm saying yes to the overtime because I want to get this Christmas present for this person that they don't really even need that they're going to throw away in two years. Can you relate to that? So this is how I'm going to close it. This is a reflection I was having when I was praying last night. So I lit the candle of hope and I lit the candle of preparation. And I, I explained both of those, but I didn't explain joy. And I did that on purpose. Because I think sometimes joy in our life is like this candle. And it's lit and it's there. But sometimes, like especially when it's far off, it's hard to see. Or sometimes we don't even know why it's lit in the first place. And so it's this process of people journeying alongside of us to help us see, this is what joy looks like. And this is how it illuminates my life. And then we're like, oh. Okay, and then we step. So like next week, when you look at this candle of joy, hopefully you'll have this marker of like, oh, rest and remembrance, trust, looking to the lordship of God, praising him from the depths of my soul. I'll read this to you one more time. If you would close your eyes and then I'm gonna pray. If you feel comfortable closing your eyes, it's not obligation. Um, this is who we put our trust in. This is how we're blessed. The person whose help is the God of Jacob, the person whose hope rests on the Lord their God is truly blessed. Who is this God? God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. God who is faithful forever, who gives justice to people who are oppressed, who gives bread to people who are starving. The Lord who frees prisoners, the Lord who makes the blind see, the Lord who straighten up those who are bent low, the Lord who loves the righteous, the Lord who protects immigrants, who helps orphans and widows, but who makes the way of the wicked twist and turn. God, maybe for a really long time, life has looked like twisting and turning. Maybe we're starving, maybe we feel oppressed. I just don't know. What is competing with our joy in you? But I do know that we struggle with rest and remembrance. And sometimes we struggle with rest and remembrance, and it's not because of our twists and turns, but it's the twists and turns that have been projected on us, whether it's through work or our neighborhood or through relationships, friendships. We feel all twisted up. God, one of the things that I love about your Psalms is you talk about making paths straight, bringing mountains low, and valleys high so that they're even. And I pray that for all of us so that we might see who you are, that we might be able and willing and ready to embrace this gift that you give us, um, that we would have receptive hearts and arms, that you would reorient our eyes and our ears as your psalm and as the passage proclaims by you, Jesus. Um, God, I pray as we look towards uh, your birth, but that, and, and we celebrate that, I pray that we wouldn't lose sight that we are waiting for your return, that we would be a prepared people. And what that means is to look for you in our midst and to see how your love is blossoming in our midst and how you're making things new. Uh, you are faithful and good. 
And every single one of these words in the Psalms is a promise to us about who you are and your character. Would you show us what it looks like to take hold of your promises? And whether we're far off and we can barely see the light, this little flickering flame, or if we're up close and we don't understand what it means, would you help us to grasp hold of your promises? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.